0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Yosemite by John Muir. Chapter One Section C The Yosemite Fall long ago before i had traced this fine stream to its head back of mount hoffman i was eager to reach the extreme verge to see how it behaved in flying so far through the air but after enjoying this view and getting safely away i have never advised any to follow my steps The last incline down which the stream journeys so gracefully is so steep and smooth one must slip cautiously forward on hands and feet alongside the rushing water, which so near one's head is very exciting. But to gain a perfect view one must go yet farther, over a curving brow to a slight shelf on the extreme brink. This shelf, formed by the flaking off of a fold of granite, is about three inches wide, just wide enough for a safe rest for one's heels. To me it seemed nerve-trying to slip to this narrow foothold and poise on the edge of such precipice so close to the confusing whirl of the waters, and after casting longing glances over the shining brow of the fall and listening to its sublime psalm, I concluded not to attempt to go nearer. But, nevertheless, against reasonable judgment, I did. Noticing some tufts of Artemisia in a cleft of rock, I filled my mouth with the leaves, hoping their bitter taste might help to keep caution keen and prevent giddiness. In spite of myself I reached the little ledge, got my heels well set, and worked sidewise twenty or thirty feet to a point close to the out-plunging current. Here the view is perfectly free, down into the heart of the bright, irised throng of comet-like streamers, into which the whole ponderous volume of the fall separates, two or three hundred feet below the brow. So glorious a display of pure wildness, acting at close range while cut off from all the world beside, is terribly impressive. A less nerve-trying view may be obtained from a fissured portion of the edge of the cliff about forty yards to the eastward of the fall. Seen from this point towards noon, in the spring, the rainbow on its brow seems to be broken up and mingled with the rushing comets until all the fall is stained with iris colours, leaving no white water visible. This is the best of the safe views from above, the huge steadfast rocks, the flying waters, and the rainbow light forming one of the most glorious pictures conceivable. The Yosemite fall is separated into an upper and a lower fall, with a series of falls and cascades between them, but when viewed in front from the bottom of the valley they all appear as one. So grandly does this magnificent fall display itself from the floor of the valley, few visitors take the trouble to climb the walls to gain nearer views unable to realize how vastly more impressive it is nearby than at a distance of one or two miles. A WONDERFUL ascent. The views developed in a walk up the zigzags of the trail, leading to the foot of the upper fall, are about as varied and impressive as those displayed along the favourite Glacier Point Trail. One rises as if on wings— The groves, meadows, fern flats, and reaches of the river gain new interest, as if never seen before, all the views changing in a most striking manner as we go higher from point to point. The foreground also changes every few rods in the most surprising manner, although the earthquake talus and the level bench on the face of the wall over which the trail passes seem monotonous and commonplace as seen from the bottom of the valley. Up we climb with glad exhilaration, through shaggy fringes of laurel, ceanothus, glossy-leaved manzanita and live-oak, from shadow to shadow, across bars and patches of sunshine, the leafy openings, making charming frames for the valley-pictures beheld through them, and for the glimpses of the high peaks that appear in the distance, the higher we go, the farther we seem to be from the summit of the vast granite wall." here we pass a projecting buttress whose grooved and rounded surface tells a plain story of the time when the valley now filled with sunshine was filled with ice when the grand old yosemite glacier flowing river-like from its distant fountains swept through it crushing grinding wearing its way ever deeper developing and fashioning these sublime rocks again we cross a white battered gully the pathway of rock avalanches or snow avalanches farther on we come to a gentle stream slipping down the face of the cliff in lace-like strips and dropping from ledge to ledge too small to be called a fall trickling dripping oozing a pathless wanderer from one of the upland meadows lying a little way back of the valley rim seeking a way century after century to the depths of the valley without any appreciable channel Every morning, after a cool night, evaporation being checked, it gathers strength and sings like a bird, but as the day advances, and the sun strikes its thin currents outspread on the heated precipices, most of its waters vanish, ere the bottom of the valley is reached. Many a fine, hanging garden, aloft on breezy, inaccessible heights, owes to it its freshness and fullness of beauty, Ferneries in shady nooks, filled with adiantum, woodwardia, woodsia, Aspidium, Palae, and Chilanthes, rosetted and tufted and ranged in lines, daintily overlapping, thatching the stupendous cliffs with softest beauty, some of the delicate fronds seeming to float on the warm moist air, without any connection with rock or stream. Nor is there any lack of coloured plants wherever they can find a place to cling to, lilies and mints, the showy cardinal mimulus, and glowing cushions of the golden bahia, enlivened with butterflies and bees and all the other small happy humming creatures that belong to them after the highest point on the lower division of the trail is gained it leads up into the deep recess occupied by the great fall the noblest display of falling water to be found in the valley or perhaps in the world When it first comes in sight it seems almost within reach of one's hand, so great in the spring is its volume and velocity, yet it is still nearly a third of a mile away, and appears to recede as we advance. The sculpture of the walls about it is on a scale of grandeur, according nobly with the fall plain and massive, though elaborately finished, like all the other cliffs about the valley." In the afternoon an immense shadow is cast athwart the plateau in front of the fall, and over the chaparral bushes that clothe the slopes and benches of the walls to the eastward, creeping upward until the fall is wholly overcast, the contrast between the shaded and illumined sections being very striking in these near views. Under this shadow, during the cool centuries immediately following the breaking up of the glacial period, dwelt a small residual glacier, one of the few that lingered on this sun-beaten side of the valley after the main trunk glacier had vanished. It sent down a long winding current through the narrow canyon on the west side of the fall, and must have formed a striking feature of the ancient scenery of the valley, the lofty fall of ice and fall of water side by side, yet separate and distinct. The coolness of the afternoon shadow, and the abundant dewy spray, make a fine climate for the plateau ferns and grasses, and for the beautiful azalea bushes that grow here in profusion and bloom in September, long after the warmer thickets down on the floor of the valley have withered and gone to seed. Even close to the fall, and behind it at the base of the cliff, a few venturesome plants may be found undisturbed by the rock-shaking torrent the basin at the foot of the fall, into which the current directly pours, when it is not swayed by the wind, is about ten feet deep, and fifteen to twenty feet in diameter. That it is not much deeper is surprising, when the great height and force of the fall is considered. But the rock where the water strikes probably suffers less erosion than it would were the descent less than half as great, since the current is outspread, and much of its force is spent ere it reaches the bottom, being received on the air as upon an elastic cushion, and borne outward and dissipated over a surface more than fifty yards wide. The surface, easily examined when the water is low, is intensely clean and fresh-looking. It is the raw, quick flesh of the mountain wholly untouched by the weather. In summer droughts, when the snowfall of the preceding winter has been light, The fall is reduced to a mere shower of separate drops, without any obscuring spray. Then we may safely go back of it, and view the crystal shower from beneath, each drop wavering and pulsing as it makes its way through the air, and flashing off jets of colored light, of ravishing beauty. But all this is invisible from the bottom of the valley, like a thousand other interesting things. One must labor for beauty as for bread, here as elsewhere." THE grandeur OF THE YOSEMITE FALL During the time of the spring floods the best near view of the fall is obtained from Fern Ledge, on the east side, above the blinding spray, at a height of about four hundred feet above the base of the fall. A climb of about one thousand four hundred feet from the valley has to be made, and there is no trail, but to any one fond of climbing this will make the ascent all the more delightful." A narrow part of the ledge extends to the side of the fall and back of it, enabling us to approach it as closely as we wish. When the afternoon sunshine is streaming through the throng of comets, ever-wasting, ever-renewed, fineness, firmness, and variety of their forms are beautifully revealed. At the top of the fall they seem to burst forth in irregular spurts from some grand, throbbing mountain-heart. Now and then one mighty throb sends forth a mass of solid water into the free air far beyond the others, which rushes alone to the bottom of the fall with long streaming tail like combed silk, while the others, descending in clusters, gradually mingle and lose their identity. But they all rush past us with amazing velocity and display of power, though apparently drowsy and deliberate in their movements when observed from a distance of a mile or two. The heads of these comet-like masses are composed of nearly solid water, and are dense white in colour like pressed snow, from the friction they suffer in rushing through the air. The portion worn off, forming the tail between the white lustrous threads and films of which faint greyish pencilings appear, while the outer, finer sprays of water-dust, whirling in sunny eddies, are pearly grey throughout. At the bottom of the fall there is but little distinction of form visible. It is mostly a hissing, clashing, seething, upwhirling mass of scud and spray, through which the light sifts in grey and purple tones, while at times, when the sun strikes at the required angle, the whole wild and apparently lawless, stormy, striving mass is changed to brilliant rainbow hues, manifesting finest harmony. The middle portion of the fall is the most openly beautiful lower the various forms into which the waters are wrought are more closely and voluminously veiled while higher towards the head the current is comparatively simple and undivided but even at the bottom in the boiling clouds of spray there is no confusion while the rainbow light makes all divine adding glorious beauty and peace to glorious power this noble fall has far the richest as well as the most powerful voice of all the falls of the valley its tones varying from the sharp hiss and rustle of the wind in the glossy leaves of the live-oak and the soft sifting hushing tones of the pines to the loudest rush and roar of storm-winds and thunder among the crags of the summit peaks the low bass booming reverberating tones heard under favourable circumstances five or six miles away are formed by the dashing and exploding of heavy masses mixed with air upon two projecting ledges on the face of the cliff the one on which we are standing and another about two hundred feet above it The torrent of massive comets is continuous at the time of high water, while the explosive, booming notes are wildly intermittent, because, unless influenced by the wind, most of the heavier masses shoot out from the face of the precipice, and pass the ledges upon which at other times they are exploded. Occasionally the whole fall is swayed away from the front of the cliff, then suddenly dashed flat against it or vibrated from side to side like a pendulum, giving rise to endless variety of forms and sounds. End of section D of chapter 1